0: good morning again to all of you. If you were with us last week, you began the adventure in the book of Exodus. We've entitled this series, God's Way Out. And so we continue that today. Pastor Mike covered chapter one, and so we're in it today. Uh, Just a quick review. If you were with us, not with us, don't remember anything from last week of Exodus chapter one, but it covers about 400 years of the Israelites' journey. They're in Egypt. Uh, They're experiencing oppression at this point. They are slaves to the Egyptians. And as time has passed, the pharaoh at that time, when they had come in with the direction of uh, Joseph, that pharaoh is long gone. And scripture says, as we looked in chapter one last week, that the next pharaoh has no clue who this God is, that brought them in, that whose uh, God Joseph was, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, no idea. And so he has no fear of God. And despite their slavery, the Israelites were fruitful. Despite the labor that they were enduring, the hard work that their lives faced every day, they were fruitful. They were multiplying. They were increasing in number despite what was happening to them. And as they did, Scripture tells us that the king feared, the king of Egypt, the pharaoh, feared their numbers growing. He had great fear of that. And if a war was to break out, there was a possibility that since the Israelites were under oppression... They might have animosity towards the Egyptians and towards Pharaoh, and if a war was to break out, they might become allies with the enemy, because as we know, if you've studied a little bit of war and history on that, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, right? And so that could unfold for them. So he's fearful of this, and as they increased in number, so did their oppression, and the question I think had to come to mind at some point is, is deliverance ever going to come? God, you brought us here, and it was good because there was a famine that was about to break out, but now this is where we find ourselves. This is our life now. This is today. This is reality. This is our everyday going. And as I thought about this, it's kind of like watching uh, one of your favorite movies, whether it's on DVD or in the new age of, of streaming. You know how the story ends, don't you? You've gone through Exodus. You understand how it works. The birth of deliverance comes through a man named Moses and you know the kind of that story. But here's what I want to do for today. I want to, well, imagine that you were sitting in your living room, and you had that remote control to the DVD player, and your family, or your friends, or whoever's gathered in there. And what I want us to do, if you will, is to imagine that you're watching this film unfold of Exodus, the book, God's Way Out. And what I want us to do is I want us to put pause on the scene, and I, I want us to go hit the main menu, and I want to go to the scene selection. That's what it works and looks like on a DVD, and you go back to chapter one and just start there, and then what I want us to do is I want us to fast forward through chapter one right up to the very end before chapter two, and we come to chapter one, Verse 22. Verse 22 of Exodus chapter 1 goes like this, and we saw this last week. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. This is his edict that he is So now this is at the end of chapter 1. The decree for genocide is issued to all the Egyptians now. Again, if you were back with us last week, we looked at this, and in verse 16 of chapter one of Exodus, Pharaoh instructed the Hebrew midwives to perform, if you will, partial birth abortions. In other words, when a male was born on the birth stool as they came out, they saw it was a Hebrew boy, they were to kill him right on the spot. That was the instructions. But scripture tells us in chapter one that the Hebrew midwives feared God, which is a good thing, more than man more than even the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt at this time. And so they didn't do what Pharaoh asked them to do. Hence why we have verse 22. The midwives aren't doing it. Let's tell everybody to do this now, which is where we are in this scene. And as you read verse 22, again, you're back in that room watching this DVD play out. And let's just imagine for a moment that someone sitting in the room shouts out to you, hey, isn't this decree issued, verse 22, Exodus chapter 1, isn't that issued at the same time, the exact same time that Moses is born? And you you respond, yeah. And then another person jumps in and says, yeah, but we already know how the story ends, right? I mean, we already know how this, we, we get how this movie ends. We've seen it before. We know what's going on. I mean, Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. So imagine we were to watch that movie of Hebrews chapter 11, and we came to the scene in the movie of verse 23, which it says this, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Just like the Hebrew midwives. And someone else is in the room. Uh, kind of just says, and yada, 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 and, and the story goes on. God saves Israel, all lives happily ever after. Can we watch something else now? We've seen this before, we get this before. Can we go on, can we watch something else now? I wonder if you're there today in your life, and you go, I have seen enough of this movie of my life right now. I want to watch something else, God. I want to get past this scene, this chapter, this season. I want to get on with something better, something greater, something less painful, something less challenging, something that, well, I just would rather look at and enjoy in life. You want to watch something else than where your life is today. To put it another way, do you long or desire deliverance? Do you wish that you had deliverance? Is there something in your life that you wish you had deliverance from today? That you could fast forward and jump to that scene. Deliverance from, I don't know, sickness, a health issue. Deliverance from a financial situation. God, can we get to that? Can I have deliverance there? Maybe it's deliverance from guilt from what you said. Maybe it's deliverance from pain of what someone said to you long ago that continues to replay in your mind from time to time. Maybe it's deliverance from regret of what you did or more likely regret, oh, I didn't do that. I wish I, wish I would have done that. And it's this idea of going, can I be delivered from that thought, that attitude, that mind, that moment? Maybe it's deliverance from a disagreement or friction in a relationship. Like, can we just get past this issue it just seems to linger on in the relationship, whatever it is. Maybe it's a living situation. Maybe it's the past, what took place in the past. And God, I just wish, I just pray, I wish I could be delivered from that or the present. <laughs> or maybe it's deliverance from the anxiety about the future. As we start not only a new year, we start a new decade. And maybe you look out and you go, man, I, I kind of want deliverance from this, this kind of concerns. Maybe it's deliverance from being single. Maybe it's deliverance from being without children or grandchildren. God, when are you going to deliver that? We're waiting. Deliverance from unemployment. Deliverance, deliverance from a boss or a coworker. Deliverance from well, you fill in the blank. That you go. I, I want to get past that scene. I, I want it to end differently than right now. How it seems to be going. Do you long for deliverance in your life? I just want to say to you, if there's anyone who would say yes to that, I just want to tell you you're in the right place. You're in the right place today. May may I just remind you as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ as I look at his word, that there is a God who cares about you. That there is a God who understands you. And in the midst of whatever you're going through, there is a God who loves you through it all. And he is present, ever present with you. He is the same God who cared about his chosen people in Exodus chapter one. It is the same God. He is the same God. He is the God of Amram, the father of Moses, and Jochebed, the mother of Moses. He is the God of deliverance. So if you're here today and you deliverance is something you long for, again, I just remind you, I just encourage you by saying you're in the right place. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad I'm here. You see, today we have the story of the birth of Moses, the birth of deliverance. Deliverance that was at risk of death. Deliverance that was not looking too promising for the future, as it were. Today we're going to see how Moses' parents sought deliverance, not only for Moses, their baby boy, but really the whole nation of Israel. As God is at work there, their story is about a faith in a great, mighty God. And I want to submit to you, it's a story of God's way out. It's a story with lessons that we can apply to our lives today. So I'm glad you're with us. Would you open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 2? Exodus chapter 2. That's where we're going to be today. Exodus chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 10. So good. Find a Bible. Open it up, Exodus chapter 2. That's where we are. Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 to 10 is our text for today. So we were in Exodus chapter 1 last week. Pastor Mike took us through all those verses, the first, uh, the the 22 verses of Exodus 1. We're just going to go through verses 1 to 10 today of Exodus chapter 2. You there? All right, let's read this, Exodus chapter two, verse one. Now, a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The man, that's Amran. The wife, that is Jochebed. Jochebed conceived and bore a son, and she saw that he was a fine child. This, by the way, is Moses. And she hid him three months. Remember the edict in verse 22 of chapter one. Verse three, when she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch or tar and pitch. And she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him, her little baby brother. Verse five, now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant, woman, and she took it. And when she opened it, this is the basket here, she saw the child, this is Moses, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, ha, ah, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister, this is Moses' older sister, oldest of the family, said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And the Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. And she named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. Exodus 2, verses 1 to 10. That's our story we're looking at today. That's the scene we're on in the story of Moses' life. And so we've hit the pause button, if you will, through these verses. And this is just where we want to look for this morning. Moses, if you didn't know, writes the book of Exodus. By the way, he's a little older than a baby when he writes, right? Because life has to unfold. And so he writes writes this. I think it's interesting that uh, this is his birth announcement. I don't know if you've ever received a birth announcement, but it's kind of a big deal in today's world. We have one that saved each of my children. We kind of saved the birth announcement, right? Right. This is his birth announcement. doesn't give a whole lot of story to it, but what a story it is. It's an amazing announcement that's come forth. Moses' siblings are Miriam. I already mentioned that. That's his oldest sister. She's the oldest in the family. Then next is, in Scripture tells us, is Aaron. Aaron's three years older Than Moses at this time. So Miriam is the grown up child, if you will. The one, I don't know how old she is, double digits maybe at this point. I'm not sure. A teenager, maybe even younger. I'm not sure. She's the one who's in this story right here. And what's interesting about this is Moses, as he's born, he does add in on the birth announcement what his mom Jochebed thought of him. Did you catch that? that? He was a fine child. It's interesting how that's put out there. He adds it in just to show us that. In, in Acts chapter 7, in, in Stephen's uh, preaching of the gospel there to the Sanhedrin, he speaks of this child being no ordinary child. And as I had of your notes, if you got them out, you saw in Hebrews 11.23, uh, that he was a beautiful child. So certainly there's unmistakability here that this child is unique. This child is special. This child is beautiful. Whether he's the Gerber baby of that day, I don't know. But definitely he's somebody you would notice and go, "There's look, look again, right? So that's what's unfolded here. However, from the time he was conceived, Moses' life... And the deliverance of all of Israel is in jeopardy. It is at risk. There is the potential for him to die, as we saw by the king's edict. Not in just verse 16, but verse 22 of chapter 1. So here we are. This is the setting. The Israelites' existence has been at that time and remains to this day under threat. Have you noticed that through history? Fast forward 1,500 years from this text today of Exodus 2, to Matthew chapter two verse sixteen, there's a guy by the name of Herod, and he hears of a special Jewish boy that's come into the world. His name's Jesus, and he tries to kill him. There, this child from Bethlehem. There's a story about that, of course, that goes on. And then, less than two thousand years later, from that moment of Hebrews or from uh, from Matthew chapter two verse sixteen, you might have heard of Joseph Stalin and Adolf Hitler. And their efforts to eradicate all Jews, to eradicate Israel, their effort to do that. So I thought about that. I thought about John 10.10. It's one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. Not the first part. I don't like the first part. I like the second part. The first part goes like this. The thief comes only to seek, to kill, and destroy the second part i like a lot better jesus says but i have come that you may have life and have it abundantly I, I like that part but i share with you focus for a moment on the first part to say this satan has been busy for thousands of years of trying to stop the plan of god to send us a savior and he failed but it doesn't mean that he's going to stop pursuing and coming after god's chosen people not only the jews But you and me, if you've received Christ, you, when you received Christ, became a target for Satan to seek after you, to to kill any joy that you would have or any hope that you would have, to destroy it, to take your faith in God and just eradicate it, destroy it and put it aside that you're like, God, how can I trust you? So that's what we're in dealing with here. Prophecy tells us that a good is coming, but we're in the midst of this scene where we're stuck with an enemy coming after us. So with the decree weighing on the heart, verse two tells us that Jacob had hid Moses for three months. Can you imagine the discussion that her and her husband had about what they're gonna do with their baby boy, with the edict out there, and the conversations that ensued, the quieting of the baby? Because at this point, it's not just the midwives. They're, they're already out of the delivery room, Right? Now it's any Egyptian who hears him, and that's what she's living under. Imagine wanting deliverance from that, just the threat of your baby boy being killed or being taken. And so as we think about that, three months passes between verse 2 and verse 3 of Exodus chapter 2, and the inevitable has to be faced. Jacobeth has to act. Go back, look in your Bible, verse three of Exodus two. When the, she could hide him no longer, she took him in a basket and made of bulrushes and daubed it in bitumen or tar and pitch. And she put the child in and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. That river, of course, is the river Nile. Notice that word basket. When I see the word basket, I don't know about you, but I think of like a, a picnic basket. Right, that you maybe hang on your arm or hold a basket like that. We'll, we'll, we'll think a little differently today, because the same word that is used for basket is this word called tebah. It's a Hebrew word, and what that word means is also an ark. Are you familiar with? You ever heard the story about Noah and the ark? So she puts fastens together, in essence, a small ark, a small boat. Pitch, tar, put together to hold its insides, to keep it sealed from the water. The, 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 the tar works also as an insulation to keep the heat out in the hot sun. So, so I want to submit to you this. It's probably not a basket that she has that you could just hang Moses in, right? This is a little bit bigger. It's not a big, huge boat, but I'm just wanting you to recognize that there's an effort here. You can't miss this that's in the water there, probably in the marshland, against the shore on the Nile. So here it is. That's where it's been worked and down. And note she puts him in to the Nile, which in essence is obe- obeying the edict that the pharaoh had given. So she's following through on that even in this way. Verse 4 has a story unto itself for Miriam. She's watching what happens for her baby brother. I got to believe that her heart rate is up. If she had any nerves, they're fried a little bit at this point watching her baby brother and what's going to happen to him. That she's probably been caring for him and helping mom out, right? And then as I look at verse 5 and 6, to me this is the first, what I write as, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? No way that this could happen, seen in this uh, part here. What's the part? Look at verses 5 and 6. This is the, are you serious? Are you kidding me? No way that this happens. The daughter of Pharaoh comes down to bathe while her young women walk beside her, okay, and she sees this basket, this little boat, this ark, this tabah among the reeds, and sit her servant woman, and she took it, and when she opens it, despite what her dad has said, she sees the child and behold, the baby's crying, and she took takes pity on him. And this is one of the Hebrew children? No way. Are you kidding me? This is how this is working? This is what we're seeing in this scene? And Miriam's question to Pharaoh's daughter was simple, short, and perfect. Whether it's they planned this out of what she said, why like God is directed, or both, I, I, I don't know. But she asks, hey, shall I, shall, shall, I, shall I go get for you the nurse, or his mom, or a mom, probably didn't say my, her, his mom, from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And of course, response is yes. I had to start and think about this for a moment, and I imagine Miriam running back to her parents' house, right? She's running back to her parents' house, and and she's got hope. She's got some joy. Contrast that to the emotions of what Jacobet has to be feeling at this point. She's in anguish. She's in despair. Uh, I doubt they have Kleenex. Maybe she's grabbed some sort of uh, cloth or whatever to wipe her tears away. I imagine Amram is there with her. Maybe he's consulting her. Maybe he has her in his arms, her face is in his chest, and she's just sobbing over this. And and I wonder if he's, he's there and if he was to look out and see his daughter running with a smile on her face and thinking, what is going on? and the daughter gets there and i just imagine it's like like what, what what's going on it's like mom dad he's still alive he's okay he's been rescued mom let's go now because that brings us to the next part to me, the are you kidding me? Part two of this story. Look at verse nine. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him. This is to Jochebed now. Take his child and nurse him for me and I will give you your wages. She's going to get paid for doing this. So the woman took the child and nursed him. Man, I'm just reminded we have a God who's good. He is so good. He sees this, and he has a plan in place. And verse 10 probably covers at least the next two years or so. I don't know how long it took Jochebed to wean this child, but I'm sure she took it as far as she could, right, to to wean him. And she nursed Moses as God had given her the opportunity to do this. So Moses has been spared death. Hope for deliverance is still alive, and it's well. Acts 7 and Stephen's sermon that he gives to the Sanhedrin talks about this story, and, and there's much that I could say further with that, but he basically says that he is no ordinary child. And it tells of this great story of what God has done. So the birth of deliverance lives on. Through the sovereign hand of God, deliverance for Israel is coming. So let me pause for a moment and ask you a personal question. If you got your notes, you can write this in. Where do you want deliverance in your life? Where do you want deliverance in your life today? That's something for you to write in. And then you'll notice beneath that in your notes, I have a line that's blank. And what I would ask that you would consider doing is writing in the answer to, your, to that question. Where would you like deliverance today? Where would you like to see deliverance? I gave you some examples earlier. Maybe it's something that's health. Maybe it's financial deliverance. Maybe it's relational. Uh, whatever it is that you would like deliverance from. Maybe it's emotional. It's regret. There's something about the past, something about the future. What, what is that? Would you take a moment and write that down? If, if I had more time, I, w- I would say, okay, now, let's, you know, you got that down. Maybe this is you. Maybe you're saying, you know what, I don't have something that comes to my mind right now for me to write down. Well, then could I ask you this? Could you be other-centered? Scripture likes that, that we do that. Maybe there's someone else in your family or a friend or a neighbor who would like deliverance from whatever they're facing today. Maybe you're here for their benefit. Maybe you think about them, and maybe this message is not so much for you personally because you don't have something, praise God, that you need to be delivered from today, but you have someone in your life that maybe you're to be the messenger of hope and encouragement to them, and God has you here today to carry and go minister to them as a brother or sister in Christ. So maybe you do that for them. So as I looked at this passage in these these 10 verses here, I looked at the actions of Amran, that's the dad, and Jochebed, that's the mom. I looked at their actions. I look at their faith. Actions and faith, faith and actions, they go together. And as I look at this, I thought of it this way. If you, if I, want to experience deliverance, there's two steps you're going to have to take. Two steps you're going to have to take for this. The first step is this, to trust God completely to trust God completely. If you want deliverance in your life, if you want to experience that, when I look at the actions in the faith of Jochebed and Amran, you're going to have to trust God completely. Trust him. I say completely because I don't think you can just say, I trust God. I, you, you can't fake that. It's going to show up whether it's true or whether it's not. You have to live it if you want deliverance. Psalm thirty-two ten puts it this way. The Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. It's not about the one who knows that, oh, they should trust him. It's actually about the one who does it, who trusts God completely because God won't fail you when you trust him. Let me, let me, let me have a little exercise for you here. This is something you do with either this hand or this hand. Raise it up and keep it up when you recognize what it is, I'm saying, if you've if you recognized this before, it's a verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Oh, so you've heard that before. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, right? Trusting him completely, not halfway, not some things of your life, but in all your ways. With all your heart, right? To trust God. So what does that look like? If we were to live out Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, if we were to understand that Psalms 32, 10 says that the love surrounds the one who trusts in him, not just thinks about it, not just says it, but actually does it, what does that look like to trust him completely? Well, here's some ways that you're gonna have to put this into your life. The first way is this, trust God completely by depending on his sovereignty, that God is sovereign, that God is in control. Trust God completely by depending on his sovereignty. That's what Amran and Jochebed did. When I look back at verse 3, when she could hide him no longer, Jochebed took for him, Moses, a basket made of bulrushes, and she put this basket together and put it in the Nile, right? At this point, she releases their child, and his future is into the sovereign hand of God. Her hands are off now. The three months before she took him, she had her hands on him. There's this moment, not certain how this is going to work. And she gets him back for two to three years paid as she takes care of him. But she's got to follow the edict, which she does, and she's got to say, God, I've done all I can do. You're in control. I'm gonna have to take that on faith. I'm gonna have to trust you completely with that. And when Jacobed let go of the basket, she let go of control. Have you ever noticed that that's hard to do in your life? To let go of control? in certain areas of your life, if you want deliverance in an area of your life today that you wrote down, that you have in mind or so in mind for someone else, if you could do it on your own, I want to submit to you, it'd already be done. It'd already be delivered. But maybe you're in a situation where you need to trust God completely by depending upon his sovereign way as a way to trust him. Here's another way to trust him. Trust God completely by depending on his timing. Trust God by depending upon his timing. This is what Amran and Jochebed did. They trusted God's timing. If you look back at verses five and six, the daughter of Pharaoh comes down to bathe. What's the timing of that? Who does she see? This basket, this little ark, this little boat. What's the timing of that? God's timing is at work here because we're trusting God completely. In the New Testament, as I thought about this, I thought, you know, there's two main words that are used to uh, convey or, trans- or translate the word Time. And usually when you find in the New Testament, particularly, it it just says the word time. But in Scripture, in the Greek, there's two different words. There's the word chronos, which is where we get chronology from, clock time, if you will, calendar time. And then there's another word, and it's called kairos, kairos time. Kairos time is the opportunity. It's at the right time. In fact, Scripture says at the right time, God sent his son into the world. That's kairos time. It was the timing that God saw. Now's the time. Well, the timing here in the story of Jacobed and Amram for Moses, it's God's timing. They're trusting God completely. And his timing goes with that. And so when Jesus was here on doing his earthly ministry, I want to submit to you that he wasn't driven by Kronos time. He's driven by Kairos time. Opportunity, opportunity. Seize this moment. Seize this opportunity. See this place right here. See these people right here. Seize this opportunity. Kairos. That's what's going on here. That's what, how God works. And that's how He's working there. It's how He works today. It's how He worked in Amram and Jochebed's life. So if you are seeking deliverance, <laughs> you can trust Him completely by what? By trusting in God's timing. The third way of how to trust God completely is by depending on His provision. Depending on His provision that God, you're the one who's gonna have to provide beyond what I have resources to do. This is what Amram and Jochebed did. When you look at verse nine of Exodus chapter two, and Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him. You're gonna be the one who provides for him, right? And I will give you your wages. I'm gonna provide that way. So God is at work here in his provision. That she could have never experienced God's provision had she not trusted him completely. Not trusted his sovereignty. Not trusted his timing. She has no way of getting to experience his provision. Because we can't just talk about it. We have to live it out. And that's what's going on here in the life of this family. God provided the king's daughter, but he also provided financially to And it's a surprise blessing that comes about when we trust God completely. So God provided a unique learning environment for Moses. This is interesting to me in Acts chapter 7, verse 22, as Stephen's preaching here, he says this, Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and in action. Because God's got a plan here. God provided even an education in relationships and connection and understanding of what he'd be dealing with later on before he even knew what was going on with God's plan. Because God has a plan of deliverance here. And the journey is that. Because God is Jehovah Jireh. He is the God who provides. Lastly, trust in God completely if you want deliverance. Here's the fourth way. By depending on his promises. By depending on God's promises. For Amram and Jacob, they had the Abrahamic covenant as a promise. They didn't have a book of Bible promises, right? They only have the Abrahamic covenant at this point. That, that that they could hang on to and 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 think about and, and and gravitate towards as they do that god told abraham and his descendants would become as numerous as the sand on the seashore and as the stars in the sky i think it's rather humorous <laughs> that pharaoh saw this when he said in exodus chapter 1 verse 9 look the israelites have become far too numerous <laughs> Because God is at work here. God has his plan and is unfolding. And even others are seeing this. And so because Amram and Jacobed were trusting God completely, they were able to see God's sovereignty. They were able to see his timing. They were able to see his provision. And they could hold on to his promises going, God's got something here. It doesn't make sense right now. I'd like to fast forward to or see something else in my life. But right now I can see God is at work here if I pause and think about it. In fact, if I pause and think about it a little bit further, I can look at promises that are relevant to me today, that are relevant to you today. From 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 3, it goes like this. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold, my refuge, and my savior Promise, 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 promise. It keeps going. Psalm 9.9 puts it this way. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble, those times where you'd like deliverance. The Lord is that refuge for that person. Proverbs 18.20, the name of the Lord is a fortified tower, a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. You want to trust God completely. That means you're going to have to depend upon his sovereignty, his timing, his provision, and promises like I just read. To hold on to that because it's truth and it's alive. So as I look at the actions and faith of Amran and Jochebed, if you want to experience deliverance, I just look at their pattern and I go, maybe I should pay attention to that. Maybe I need to trust God completely. That's the first step. The second step goes like this. Based on the actions and faith of Amram and Jochebed, if you want to experience deliverance, you're going to need to surrender your will to his will. Surrender your wants, your desires, your thinking even, your reasoning to God's will. That God has a greater plan here. I mean, I cannot imagine how difficult it was for Amram and Jacobed to surrender their will for their child to God's will. It doesn't make sense. What did Jochebed do after the first three months of Moses' life? She hit him, right? That was her will. That's what she wanted to do. Is it safe to say that surrendering to God's will seems crazy at times? That it doesn't make sense? Because if she surrenders, because it seems to be like, God, I don't have much of a choice, and I surrender my son, he's going to die how are you in control? Where are you going to provide deliverance? How's your timing going to work? What promise do I have? It just doesn't make sense. When we surrender our will at times to God's will, to trust him completely. You see, it seems that way, but ultimately for Moses, that wasn't God's will. God has a greater plan in mind, and the only way that the story gets written, the only way that Moses is able to survive is because his parents said, you know what, God, we're gonna have to trust you. Our will is gonna have to be put down to surrender to your will. And the goodness of God's will can be hard to see and yield to with our finite perspective. have Have you noticed that? With our limited understanding of how God works, a scripture that speaks about who has known the mind of the Lord or offered him any counsel. Yeah, that's the God I'm speaking of for our understanding. As I process and wrestle with this this week in prepping, I came across 1 John 2, 6, and it says this, Whoever claims to live in him, live in Christ, must live as Jesus did. Right. I, I've heard that before. Well, let's, let's, let's apply it here to surrendering your will to God's will. This is how Jesus did it. Luke chapter 22, verse 42 In the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed this prayer. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. In other words, take the cross from me, yet not my will but yours be done. See, even in Jesus, in his humanity, he sits there and realizes what he's about to face. And he goes, God, Heavenly Father, if there's another way, now's the time to come across. He asked this not once, not twice, but three times in case we needed to get the point of what he'd prefer But what does he do? He surrenders his own will and says, Father, whatever you want. I don't know about you. (laughs) I could guess. But I know for me, I am so thankful he surrendered to his father's will. Do you know why? Because we got saved. (laughs) If he doesn't go forth with that, we're toast, as I like to say to my kids. We're in deep weeds, we've got serious problems. And so surrendering to God's will has a greater plan that maybe we can't see, maybe we can't understand. Maybe it's going to be difficult. But God's got a greater plan in mind. As I process that, here's where it goes for me. Surrendering your will to his will, what's the step? What's the way to do that? It's by submitting that situation, that challenge, that circumstance that you wrote in earlier it's submitting that to him. It's taking that, whatever that is, that trial, the challenge, and going, God, I, I, I'm going to put this literally on the altar. Whatever your will is, I would like to be delivered from it yesterday. <laughs> but whatever your will is, I trust you enough To do that, to put it another way, if you want to experience deliverance, you'll need to surrender your will to his will by putting that thing, that circumstance, that situation, that trial into a basket, if you will, and putting it in the Nile River and going, okay, God, I've done everything I can do, now it's you. All I can do is pray and wait for your provision, for your sovereignty to work, for your timing, for your will to be done and unfold. You see, a verse like Psalm 55, doesn't become reality to you or to me until you submit that thing, that circumstance, that situation to God. Psalms 55, goes like this. Cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. That's his promise to you if you're willing to let God say, hey, let me take that, whatever that circumstance or situation is, surrender your will by submitting that to him. Here's the second step you have to take with this. Surrender your will to his will by submitting to his unconditional love for you. By submitting to his unconditional love for you. Why why do I put that in there? Maybe personally because I need to be reminded of that, Possibly you need to be reminded of that too. Ever been through a trial or circumstance or situation, a difficulty in life, and you thought, all right, God, I know your word says you love me, but do you really love me? Why is this unfolding? Why have you not brought about deliverance? Are you sure you really love me? Because it doesn't feel like it. The circumstance I'm in, the situation I've been praying and asking for deliverance for, are you sure you really love me? Or did I do something? that you've holding against me? Have you been there? Have you wrestled with that at times? Are you there today? Well, let me share with you a couple of verses to encourage you. Psalm 103, 17 says, but from everlasting to everlasting, that means forever and ever and ever, the Lord's love, God's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children. This is an everlasting God. This is an everlasting love that God has for you to put it another way, from Ephesians chapter one, verses four and five, let's jump to verse five. It says this: "In love, out of love, based on love, foundationally out of love, God predestined us for adoption to sonship through His Son Jesus Christ, in accordance with His pleasure and His will." So God's love has been there, and it continues to be there. That's what God's love does. That's what He gives to those who are His children. So as I looked at this journey for Amran and Jochebed and the journey of Moses, I thought, man, they they wanted some deliverance. I i got to believe, and i got to believe that some of us want that too. But what's that going to look like? Because we've got to trust God completely. And I give you some steps of what that's going to look like, ways that you've got to go about that. And then lastly, the next one was we're going to have to surrender our will to God's will. By putting whatever that is that you're dealing with today and saying, God, here it is. And remembering that God loves you through it all. Let me close with a personal story and wrap this up of how I've seen this happen in my own life. Um, Pam and I had reached about 10 years of marriage and we still were without kids. And as a man, as a husband, I was trying to understand that, but I'm failing miserably. And so we're kind of wondering, God, are you not going to deliver kids to our life ever? Ever? What's this going to unfold like? Is this what we're going to have to deal with? Are you ever going to bring about deliverance? We're at a youth pastors conference at Hume Lake. And uh, I remember praying and all that, and as we'd done before. And so we get to our family ranch down in the San Joaquin Valley. And we got the new phone, and I saw, hey, this is the same brand we have at our, on, as our phone. We can access our messages from our home. Let's try it. I call into her house. We have 13 messages on our answering machine. I'm thinking, who's calling us? Everyone knows where we are. Why did they call us? This is crazy. 10 of the 13 messages are from the same person. And it's from the doctor's office where my wife is supposed to have an appointment. On the Monday, we get back. On Monday when the, of that week, when the phone message is left, the lady is like, hello. I wanted to leave you a voicemail. Could you please call our doctor's office at your earliest convenience? Thank you so much, and have a great week. When you listen to all the messages at once, and then you get to Friday at 4.55 p.m. when the lady calls next, It's a little different. She goes, hello, this is so-and-so from the doctor's office. I have been trying to reach you all week long, and you have not returned any of my calls. I wanted to let you know, if you're coming to the appointment on Monday, you have a copay that you must pay. I'll see you there. Goodbye. I'm thinking, man, okay. We get home. I'm bringing in stuff from the car, and Pam says, there's more voicemails. I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. She goes, one was from my doctor. Gosh, they couldn't get the, 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 the her uh, employee, the person who's in her office, to be sufficient to get the message. We get it. We got a copay. And she goes, well, the message from my doctor is this. The procedure and all that, whatever the appointment was, I don't remember exactly, has been canceled for Monday. Because we didn't take the voicemail? Are you kidding me? No. It's because the doctor says... We're pregnant. Okay, yeah, whatever. So where did you want these this bags put again? I know you're going to do laundry. I, it just didn't even phase me. It, 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 it was like she couldn't believe that that was the truth. So we go in, and sure enough, there's a heartbeat. That heartbeat would turn out to be Kendall. A couple years later, we have Emerson, our son. I, I share that with you to share this. So a couple years later, Pam's in an appointment with a doctor. And looking at the medical record and journey of our life and all that. And she goes, you know, did you, did you say that you have a, a child? Yeah, actually, I have two. You have two children. And she says, based upon the circumstance, the situation of what you two have or what you're going through, you're the first person in all my years of medical practice that's ever had not one, but two kids. You shouldn't have kids at all. I went, whoa. We were experiencing deliverance in time. God's timing, God's sovereignty, God's provision, God's promises, going, God, if this is your will, we put this to you. God delivered. At the same time, this condition that we have to encounter for for in our lives health-wise that's not been delivered and never will be unless God chooses to do differently and so I want to remind you today as you're here and you hear this story about a story that you're like fast forward we already know how this goes I just remind you to pause for a moment and wherever you are to realize that God is a God who wants to bring about deliverance but you're going to have to trust him you have to surrender to him And Lord willing, he'll bring that about, but it also might be that his will is say, but you're going to not be delivered of this. All right, but you're a good God, and you have a great plan in place. And we see that unfold, don't we, in the story of Moses. And we'll pick it up next week and see what else chapter 2 brings us.